Friends, uh, I've been asked to speak to the topic one size fits all. Uh, Is there room for different size and focused church plants uh, and evangelism? So we're thinking again about the changing demography of Australia, uh, which has been changing quite significantly uh, and uh, thoroughly uh, throughout the cities in particular over the last 30 years. Uh, And uh, what that change in demography means for evangelism and church planting. Last night we uh, heard from Andrew Hurd the helpful concept of worldview preaching and his paradigm of taking people to the biblical worldview. Uh, I think that was a terrific uh, um, presentation and I agree with what he was saying. But this talk is working with the people part of that equation, taking people to the biblical worldview, our people, uh, the ones we are bringing to this biblical worldview, people who may not be like us and people who might be culturally, socioeconomically and ethnically a long way from us or even subtly, subculturally uh, different from us. Those who, whose worldview is not discerned by reading the Sydney Morning Herald. Those people who we need to work hard on the Bible for. Those people we need to, to work, on hard, work, work hard on how to communicate the Bible to. Those people whose categories uh, and understanding of the world is not like the ones that are innate for us. So let's recap quickly on some of the statistical information that we have already uh, looked at at and touched on. The population growth uh, to 2056 was when the 50 year, um, in 2006 the projections were made and taking the median projection, things that you will be well aware of, 35.5 million people in Australia uh, and that median projection, 7 million in Sydney, closely followed by Melbourne with 6.8 million, uh, 87% of the growth by migration New migrants and children will make up 36% of the population, new migrants and their kids. Uh, And on the trends that uh, you look at from 2000 to 2011, 68, two-thirds of that growth will be from the Middle East across to East Asia. They're they're the people who are coming. In Sydney, uh, 30% of that growth will take place in new greenfields areas, 70% in brownfields areas, whereas we heard yesterday 60% of the growth in Melbourne will be in greenfields areas. The um, proportion of migrants in Australian churches is similar to the proportion in the broader population, but that includes Catholic and Orthodox folk, uh, not Bible-based Christians especially. Uh, 11% of the national population are from English-speaking countries, that is outside of Australia, uh, and that's uh, mirrored in the church populations, particularly New Zealand and the UK. 27% of Australia's population are from non-English-speaking countries compared to 23% church attenders. 
most migrants live in urban areas, particularly in the inner city and near universities. Just under half of all the migrants live in either Sydney or Melbourne, followed by Perth. They live where we have mostly declining Bible-based churches. So the Anglican Church in Sydney, uh, its uh, area where it's uh, weakest represented uh, smallest congregations are where the migrants are moving, the sort of stuff you already know. So uh, it's not rocket science to work out. We've got to think new thoughts about new works, new leaders, new patterns, new focused work in these sort of areas to reach the people who are coming to us, God is bringing to us. 2011, 61%, this is McCrindle statistics, uh, 61% identified themselves as Christian. That means 8.3% didn't identify themselves as Christians. Uh, uh, he reckons, they reckon, that 9% 9, 9 of people are currently practising Christians. That's 1.8 million people, and he uh, estimates there are 13,000 churches nationally. That's all churches, not just Bible-based churches. Another way of looking at it, uh, for Sydney, uh, just to give you this sort of perspective, uh, 1.6, this is the 2011 National Church Life Survey, 1.6% of the population of Sydney in Anglican churches, 72,000 people, another 1.2% in other Bible-based churches, not including the Pentecostals. Um, if we grew our churches, the ones that we currently have, by 4%, you still have 90% of the population not being reached by the current churches. And multiplying our churches, growing our churches by four times is a big thing. Um, uh, if the weakness of the English church, Anglican church in Sydney, um, uh, Presbyterians, uh, but this is the Anglicans, uh, the good news is that uh, there's been a growth in the previous five years to 2011, uh, to, from 2001 to 2011, from 7.8% to 15.5% of non-English speaking background people in, Engl in Anglican churches. That's, that's a good increase, in double, um, but there is still 27% of the population who are non-English speaking background. Um, the bad news is there's been a 25% drop in newcomers to church in the same 10 years. And so we see um, shrinking churches in some areas, shrinking fringe in most churches, the people that we are interacting with. So again, new people, new ways of thinking, new structures. We've got to think outside the box. We've got to do much more work on, on uh, our mission for the folk that are in our country. So uh, the next... So there's a question that was asked in the NCLS uh, survey of, uh, I think, all... This, this is probably not just Sydney, it's probably all um, uh, churches in Australia that did the uh, survey. Are there any non-English-speaking congregations meeting here? And you can see there, uh, no non-English-speaking congregations meet for worship here. So that's three-quarters of the churches haven't even got it on the... Well, if they do have it on the radar, it's just not happening. Three-quarters. Uh, the next question. To what extent is this congregation involved with ministry towards migrants? And again... Uh, you can see here... Um, 
not involved, 42%, 6 and 7%, so more than 50% are not involved for some reason or other, don't have the resources. Well, uh, how do we reach the 90% if four times 2.5% in Sydney, um, uh, there's still 90% we're not reaching. How do we think about mission in Sydney to reach everybody, not just the people that we are like or the people inside our networks? Uh, evangelism by invitation is one of the things that we've done and uh, that is a great tool. Um, uh, Michael Harvey in his book, Unlocking the Growth, quotes a recent survey conducted by Tier Fund in the UK. The survey found that three million people in the UK uh, of 60 million people, that is f about 5%, would go to church if only they were asked to do so by a friend. 5%. If this statistic holds true for Sydney, then you would expect to see 238,000 people uh, would respond to a friend's invitation, 212,000 people uh, in Melbourne. There's still great mileage, uh, 237,000 uh, is many more than the 72,000 in current Anglican churches in Sydney. Uh, so there's great mileage in asking people to come to church, making sure church is the sort of church that you can invite people to, all the sort of stuff that you, we know well. But even if all those invited came to church, we would still have 95% that we couldn't or didn't, and we're not in our networks to invite. You can see the scope of the problem. Uh, we just are isolated from, not thinking about, maybe we're thinking about, but not connected to the people, the vast majority of the people in our cities. So in that 90%, who are they? Well, if you were to say 30% were Catholic, 30% uh, uh, were uh, non-English speaking background, the other 30% just distant from us in some way or other, uh, different socioeconomic group. So how do we evangelise our current networks? The Sydney population of um, 4.67 million currently, 2.5% in 40 churches of 200 people. To reach the tier fund estimate of 5%, we would need 470 more churches of 200 people in Sydney. Uh, and, well, there's a challenge for us even in that. The proportion of, this is a Roy Morgan research um, uh, uh, statistic, uh, just from uh, last year, I think. I think it's from last year. In, two th in October 2011, you can see the you can see October 2011 there in um, sort of two-thirds of the way across and then October, December 2013, the drop even of those people who say they are uh, identify with Christianity as a drop of another 10% over against the 61% that we, we read earlier. The, uh, the research people, the Roy Morgan research people say these results are not necessarily about belief per se, but rather our changing attitudes to religious affiliation. The decline in the proportion of Australians who say they are Christian, whether Catholic, Anglican or another denomination, coupled with a similarly sized increase in the number of people who tell us that they have no religion, uh, could reflect a growing level of genuine atheism, agnosticism, simply uh, attaching themselves to another religion. 
part of another religious group. So what do we need to do? Well, we need new evangelists. Who is training the evangelists? Um, uh, we need uh, more churches evangelised into existence in different areas, not just with people like us. So we need some people who are not going to run churches. We need serial evangelists. Uh, we, we need uh, bilingual, cross-cultural evangelists and teachers to provide focused attention on the new groups, groups that are not part of our network at the moment. We need a, a, to gather people into appropriate, different-sized groups for the sorts of people that we need to reach. Some people cannot culturally mix with everybody straight away if they uh, want to follow Jesus. So there is sort of the background picture which is really just rehearsing stuff you were aware of. Let me tell you what I think some of the theological uh, planks, platform uh, ideas are that uh, would help, help me think about what I'm supposed to be doing, what I think we all should be doing. Firstly, making disciples of all cultural peoples. Matthew 28, you know it well. Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now, you know that well. Good evangelical theology has said that for many years we're about making disciples. We write books about it. Um, I want to nuance that <laughs> Uh, Jesus actually said, we're about making disciples of all groups of people. <laughs> a failure to incorporate, I think, this nuance has led to a number of errors. A number of errors uh, in our missional thinking about what we're doing. Firstly, we would not have thought that missionaries going overseas were a special group of disciples when in fact they are a subgroup of the mandate given to every disciple. Secondly, we would not have theological colleges but only theologically astute missionary colleges with mission, mission department faculty existing to sharpen cross-cultural skills, not to provide specialised track for those who want to go overseas uh, to make disciples. We would not have produced the ghetto mentality shrinking churches in demographically diverse areas of our cities where we focused only on the ageing Anglo population, the people who are like us. I think it wouldn't have happened if, we'd made, if we had in our heads making disciples of all nations is what we're about, not just making disciples. If we were, if we were focused on making disciples of all people groups, then the demographic changes may not have got away from our notice. Fourthly, we would have moved to culturally aware books and tracts on how to make disciples which take into account where the person is, where they come from, what their history is, what their felt needs are. What, trans, what forms their alienation from God has taken, we would not have tried to disciple everyone the same way. And fifthly there, we would not have thought of ourselves as the establishment church 
and sought to protect privileges and institutions rather than being the missionary church which seeks to speak the gospel into every part of our society. There's the first of my planks. The second is uh, a lack of discipling of anyone which which we need to address to um, do church planting of any sort. There's a lack, I think, of other than bringing people into the culture, doctrine and philosophy of the local church, usually via the membership course. It's not uncommon for such membership courses to include good practices such as personal prayer and commitment to fellowship and regular Bible reading and commitment to neighbour love, but they are often seen as an optional extra and do not provide the engine as people interact with people over the Bible regularly, extendedly, uh, to change the heart and uh, adopt the Bible's worldview on things. That requires constant, regular interaction over the scriptures. Lack of seeing evangelism is actually part of the discipling process, which requires time with people. Uh, Discipling challenges uh, worldview and cultural norms that churches often don't. Lack of changing people from their consumer uh, culture mentality, where the new contact or the new disciple fails to critique the culture that they are a part of. And church culture doesn't challenge this. Lack of worldview changing by not discipling people intentionally over a period long term. Thirdly, uh, the um, teaching the truth by credible teachers. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. He, the elder, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. The first thing there to note is obviously what we know deeply, that speaking God's word is the powerful means that God uses to create and sustain faith. Getting people into Bible reading relationships is the key to all growth. And dare I say it, not the, the schmick meetings, the, the slick meetings we run. The aim is to move people from contact to maturity in Christ via the word in fellowship. And those fellowships, I think, will vary in size, perhaps determined by cultural background. And God this, does this by credible witnesses. Uh, Titus, um, two guys I interact with, um, regularly uh, uh, spend uh, large amounts of time with people. One guy uh, has spends 70% of his time interacting with people. Just at church, New Church Plant in Sydney. Um, both have grown their groups because people trust them uh, to bring, uh, they bring their non, non-believing friends to meet them. One is working amongst Muslims, the other among Aboriginals. The third thing to note here, I think, is all religion is rebellion. Uh, it's an aphorism made famous by Karl Barth, um, but and it's just another way of expressing the Bible's critique of religion, of worldview. Um, uh, the word will critique our received religious culture so that we bring uh, 
bring them the truth of the gospel, not our culture or our way of doing it, allowing, the, allowing our religious traditions, the way we are, our cultural traditions, to be critiqued by the scriptures and interact with them and allow the same gospel to interact with their culture. The fourth plank uh, is one you know well again. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Now, uh, Richard Hibbert uh, told us yesterday uh, about um, the idea of the Millet people um, uh, thinking about sin in terms of cleansing. He said this in an article that I read of his just recently, For people to respond to the gospel, they must be convicted of their sin. Uh, In the first few years of working amongst the Millet, a Turkish-speaking Muslim Roma people in Bulgaria, we began by explaining sin in terms of breaking God's commands, but found that this way of portraying sin rarely resonated with them. When we discovered that the Millet viewed sin primarily as uncleanness, Uh, and then began to explain sin in these terms, we found many people readily agreed that they had dirty hearts and were keen to find out how their hearts could be cleansed before God. He goes on to say that uh, the other people groups have different ways of seeing sin, including dishonouring God, fearing God, uh, and breaking relationship with him and so on. Consequently, different explanations of the fundamental concepts of the gospel, as is Richard's point yesterday, might require different patterns of meeting around the word and interaction over that word, uh, and those groups can be small, large, but uh, they are generally focused on the particular cultural groups. The fifth fifth plank uh, is uh, our understanding of church. Um, 1 Corinthians uh, 16, verse 19, the churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord along with the church that meets in their home. So we know that the church in the New Testament is fundamentally the fellowship gathered around the Father and the Son and the Lamb in heaven. Uh, we belong to it as soon as we own Jesus as Lord or as soon as he owns us. Uh, and our earthly expressions of church are a reflection of that heavenly assembly. So as a disciple maker, of all, as disciple-makers of all cultural groups, our aim is to move people from contact to maturity in Christ via the word in fellowship. This will, as in the New Testament, produce different reflections of the heavenly assembly. Um, And that will result, I think, in uh, different sorts of groups. There'll be Many smaller congregations where homogenous units of various sizes are necessary. Um, That was our experience at Carlingford as people came to us from different backgrounds and uh, culturally, language-wise, they needed to to meet together. Uh, Larger congregations where uh, multicultural congregations in an English language setting is best and people are able to manage that, where both Uh, the native English speakers and those new English speakers are able to move to a centre position or uh, accommodate each other and be together, reflecting more accurately the heavenly assembly which we all uh, are moving towards. One-to-one for some is just as much a fellowship uh, reflected in heaven as as the bigger groups. Uh, Home or family groups, leaving people where they are because they can't for the moment 
be where the majority group is. Um, the brother from Sudan uh, was telling me uh, yesterday uh, of Muslims who have become Christians in Sudan um, because of the wider conflict between Muslims and Christians. When they joined the local traditional Christian church, they were looked on as spies and not accepted. Uh, and then they began meeting in a, uh, very happily, for the time being, in a Muslim background church. The next uh, uh, principle is a homogeneous unit principle, which flows from, uh, picks up some of these things. And there's that um, um, wonderful verse from Revelation 7. After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were robed in white with palm branches in their hands. So every disciple and gathering of disciples needs to feel the pressure to conform to the heavenly pattern. This is where we're going. And the dividing walls have been broken down between us, even though culturally they are there historically. Consequently, although there are some good reasons for meeting together one-to-one or in homes, uh, homogeneous unit in a home, or as families or in larger homogeneous groups as the number of families from one background meet together, reasons stemming from different languages and different cultures, every homogeneous unit should feel the heavenly pressure to meet with believers from every nation, tribe, people and language as we do in heaven, as we will in heaven. And finally, I think, the global future of Christianity. I'll be talking uh, briefly tonight about the stats and the, the, um, the, the recursive pattern of migration, not just in but out, and what that means for us. Uh, and so, so it feeds into some of this. The final point here concerns the urgency of the matter and the place where I think the future of the Church of Christ lies at the moment. I think it lies with people who are not Western, middle class and white. That is the future of, uh, as far as we're concerned, um, uh, the gospel. It, I, uh, I think the, the future is with the new migrants to Australia. Uh, was it Andrew who said yesterday that um, for every 10 people from Chinese background, Chinese folk who come to faith, one Anglo and the amount of work that uh, they have to do for the Anglo to come to faith is so large. Uh, I think that's reflected everywhere throughout the country. Um, Christianity is currently um, multiplying rapidly in Africa, Asia, Latin America, and not in the West. Um, in 1900, in 1900, over 80% of the Christians in the world were in Europe or in North America. In 2003, that percentage had dropped to 40% and the trend seems to have accelerated. In India, for example, uh, Christianity Today in July 2011 said 9% of the population uh, is Christian. When we went to Pakistan, it was the same as Pakistan, about 2%, at least nominally. In 1998, there were 3,500 trained workers and 70,000 believers. By 2009, 
the article reported one million house churches. USA has a loss of 48 institutional churches per week. As the 21st century progresses, an increasing majority of Christians of all denominations in the world will be non-Western. We must participate in what God is doing around the world with the abundance of the resources that we presently have. We cannot continue to be self-indulgent. It is imperative that we take a global view and minister beyond our own cultural ghettos and begin to focus on people who are unlike the majority of us, this majority. It's imperative that we focus on training those who come and return to their homeland. Stats from tonight. So, goal, I think, increase the number of people aware of disciple and discipling people of all cultures so that we can penetrate our communities with the gospel by inspiring a disciple-making of all nations movement that reaches the majority people groups, raising up and supporting evangelists and church planters. Who's going to support the Sudanese, the Zambian, the uh, Farsi-speaking Iranian man to work amongst the increasing Chinese man is going to who's going to support, how are we going to support that Uh, so we need to raise up and support church evangelists and church planters who will focus on on neglected areas areas that uh, are more difficult to fund and keep on asking ourselves what will our theology allow that our current practice inhibits in terms of doing what we need to do